Welcome to Finding My Yum, a sex-positive podcast celebrating all forms of sexual expression. Each week, we bring on a new guest to share their journey. We talk honestly and openly about what they're into and what sex, kinks, love, and more look like in the real world. I'm Jerry Courtney Austin. And I'm Will Lentz. And we're your hosts. Today, we are joined by the absolutely incredible human that is Dr. Jennifer Lang uh, to talk all about consent, um, sexual assault, and the connection with alcohol, her incredible nonprofit work um, as an OBGYN gynecological surgeon who is helping to prevent cervical cancer and resource-poor nations, um, and more. Uh, I... I love every guest that comes on here. I have never had like so much of a girl crush of like this human being and how impactful she is just on the world. Like what a freaking force of nature. <laughs> yeah, she seems amazing. I This was one of those ones that you had to record without yeah. me. And I just like right after it was over, you sent me a text about like how good you were about oh the interview. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I was like everything I want to do in the world and how like how much her work has spanned and just the amazing things that she's doing is it's so inspiring um yeah and so I'm very excited to share this interview and I think everybody is gonna get a kick out of it and it's it you know it's it's on the topic of consent which we have been talking about over and over and over again in all the different facets um this year particularly and so I was really grateful to have her come on and and give her um, just input and, and add to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so speaking of consent, I've been taking pole dancing classes uh, because it's fucking fun. And um, I post the videos in my story on Instagram uh, of just me like learning and like the little combos that we learn. Uh, and I found out somebody that I don't know messaged me on my like other messages and said my video had been posted to a subreddit for stripping. Um, and they sent me the link, which was very nice. And then they sent the screen name of the person who had sent it. And so I clicked on the link and the video had already been taken down, okay. um, which is very nice. And then immediately went back to Instagram to f- try to find the screen name of the person who had posted it and the message was gone so the messages disappeared which is super strange um and then actually under the video this woman commented that uh because the the title was like uh my friend likes to show off her stripping or pole dancing skills or whatever sure and so this woman commented um this is on the wrong subreddit this is not stripping this is pole dancing which is completely separate Mm -hmm. um and then also uh you know, like pole dancing as a dance expression and, and like athleticism and whatever. And, um, and you shouldn't post content that you don't own. And that makes you a bad friend. Heck yeah. For that person. Yeah, I know. And I messaged that person. I don't know how Reddit works. So I like tried to sign up and whatever and message this person and be like, thank you. And do you have more information? Uh You know? Um, but it was interesting because it brought up a lot of like, I mean, first of all, like, fuck you, dude. Or female woman, like whoever you are, um, person for being a dick and like sharing, like ripping content, right? Like going out of your way to steal content that isn't yours and then reposting it. Like get your own hobbies um, to post about. Uh, Be kind and respectful of what I choose to share. Um, It's not yours. It's mine. Um, Yeah. And also this other side of it of like the public nature 
I don't know. It's very interesting. I've done, you know, a lot of what I've been cast in as an actor is sex worker roles. Mm -hmm. So there mm -hmm. is already footage of me, you know, pole dancing in an acting capacity. And so that aspect isn't that big of a deal, but it did give me a little pause. And then I was like, you know what? No, <laughs> there shouldn't be... I shouldn't have to censor this. And the very nature of just dancing around a pole right. shouldn't have to... Like, yes, it's a, it's a sexy thing to do, but it doesn't have to mean anything. And I think, like, by posting it, I'm trying to also be a part of the conversation of, like, I can be, a, like, a human walking in the world and I can also pole dance and both of those things can be okay. Yeah, and you can choose when and where to share right. either side of those things and with whom and yeah. maybe your Instagram group and not right. <laughs> someone who wants to steal it and post it to Reddit. Yeah. And also, just so you know, I've used Reddit and that, there you get nothing for posting things. <laughs> why, right. why did this guy do that? I don't know. Like, it doesn't. Yeah. There's no end game there other than There's just no end being game. To just shitty. be like, I yeah. know a person who does this. Right. Yeah, it's super bizarre. Yeah. And the whole thing was very strange and sort of... How are you feeling now? Uh, you know, I feel okay. Like, it is a violation. Right. You know, but uh, it makes me a little bit more, like, appreciate the um, magnitude of the internet and sure. social media, yeah. right? Which I think I often forget. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of brings into into the lens even of this podcast of like, there's a lot out there yeah. and continually choosing to stand in that space of, I'm going to continue standing here mm -hmm. no matter what you think. And Hell yeah. yeah, it's scary, but it's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, and like bringing in all these other people who are amazing, like Dr. Lang, it just reinforces that like, this is like great work to be doing and to be a part of, so... Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, enjoy. I'm feeling yummy head to toe. You see me. Ain't got no patience, so let's go. Yay! Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited and grateful that you made time to be here. We have Dr. Jennifer Lang on. Um, I'm going to read her amazing millions of accomplishments because it's so exciting. Uh, she is a board-certified OBGYN and gynecologic oncologist specializing in integrative and preventive medicine, um, minim minimally invasive and robotic surgery. Uh, she's also co-founded an international medical nonprofit that delivers cervical cancer prevention to services in resource-poor countries, um, spanning 80 clinics all over the world. Uh, she also has uh, two successful books. Um, I don't have the names on on hand so I will let you say what those books are so the first one was the whole nine months a week by week pregnancy guide with recipes for a healthy start amazing and so that's looking at uh, what's happening developmentally with the baby in utero and what nutrients we can introduce to keep mama and baby healthy and thriving mm -hmm. and then the second one is called consent every teen's guide to healthy sexual relationships amazing which is going to be our focus today um and then you have a startup company for it's called buzz llc which mm -hmm. is um bracelets to help prevent sexual assault on campuses is that correct? Yeah. That's, or anyway. That's the gist of it. It could be anywhere, but we're really trying to address specifically the alcohol and okay. incapacitation assault, which is a huge majority of the sexual assaults that are happening. So it's the elephant in the dorm room, as we say, yeah. is looking at alcohol and its, its association on all sides of the issue. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, well, let's launch in with that. Um, and well, actually, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and like how you even got into all of these amazing things. Um, yeah, if you could tell me a little bit about Sure. Um, let's see. I, I'm from Canada originally. Oh. I came to the States to go to a women's college in uh, Western Massachusetts called Smith College, Amazing. Um, which is a very progressive feminist, you know, hotbed of uh, radical lesbian <laughs> feminism. Amazing. <laughs> when the revolution comes, will yeah. Smithies will be there. Smithies will yeah. be leading the pack. Yeah. And um I was pre-med there. I, I uh, also majored in comparative literature, um, then went to med school. And as I started rotating through different clinical specialties, I really loved surgery mm-hmm. and I really loved working with women yeah. and women's health. So OBGYN and specifically gynecologic oncology kind of had that perfect mix for me where I could um, follow a woman through the entire kind of uh, trajectory of her care from diagnosis through, I mean, through till end of life care if needed. So gynecologic oncologists have a really unique relationship amongst surgical oncologists where at least when I was trained, we were giving our own chemo. Um, it started, oh, wow. yeah, it started to separate a little bit now into, you know, surgery and medicine. Right. But um, I'm trained to do that all. Amazing. And so I was dealing with... Oh my gosh, with you're like a ha- the, like house. <laughs> my parents are actually physicians and it's funny because she, my mom would always have trouble with all of the shows that showed that they could do everything, but yeah. you could do everything. No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, if it ha- doesn't have to do with you know, sure, something sure. related to the vagina, I'm pretty useless. Yeah. But that's like a big area. <laughs> it, yeah. I mean, women's reproductive uh, you know, health is, you're right, pretty yeah. extensive and effective access throughout our lives, right? right? Um, So true, like I could have, uh, you know, girls going, getting their first periods all the way through to, you know, elderly, (laughs) postmenopausal, like uterine prolapse or whatever. Um, So that was really how I kind of found my, you know, legs in women's health and um, went through residency, fellowship, opened a practice where I actually tried to do everything. Okay. <laughs> um, so <laughs> when I first uh, hung my shingle, as they say, yeah. here in LA, yeah. um, I was delivering babies. I was backing up home birth midwives, which oh my is gosh. like a really different thing that, you yeah, know, yeah, different experience, different experience. Sure. And that came out of, you know, my own birthing journey, which was a little atypical for a doctor. Right. You have three kids, right? I have three kids and I use hypnobirthing and I had uh, two of them at home. I had orgasmic births. I I had the whole experience. So it was pretty amazing. Um, so that, that experience definitely influenced my, um, my practice when I opened it. Yeah. And, uh, then I, You know, I started specializing more and more after I think my second child was born. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. I can't, you know, <laughs> can't be on call everything. for birth and sure. taking patients to cancer surgery. So started yeah. narrowing my focus more towards cancer. Got it. And then in 2013, had the wonderful opportunity of teaming up with a colleague who's a radiation oncologist and co-founding this international medical nonprofit, which was just so compelling to me because here in the United States, you know, we definitely have our share of major health problems. Of course, yeah. Although we do generally have 
the ability to get care if we need it. Right. And especially right. here in Los Angeles. Yeah. So that's not the case with women globally. And cervical cancer is a completely preventable disease that is a leading killer of women of reproductive age globally. Wow. So setting up these clinics was something that felt so meaningful and so right to me that I decided in 2014 to close my surgical practice and focus full-time oh, wow. on scaling the international nonprofit. And um, I'm so proud to say it's at over 90 clinics in nine countries oh, now. Oh my gosh. So, and How well over 100,000 women have walked through our doors. Oh, just tr- I, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is one of the things I'm like so proud of yeah. because it's just a lasting legacy of these sustainable clinics around the world and women that had never had a gynecologic exam in their lives now, you know, have been seen and treated for this preventable disease and they're not going to, you know, hemorrhage and die in pain and orphan children and destroy communities. And so anyway, that's amazing. And then, um, through my journey in the nonprofit world, Mm -hmm. I, I was actually, uh, interested in how we could um, marry profit and purpose for a more sustainable model addressing a really important social issue. Mm-hmm. And I was presenting at a conference on my international work and the keynote speaker, this is um, International Women's Day in 2017. Okay. <laughs> and she got up on stage very bravely and told her assault story, which wow. involved incapacitation assault. And I looked around the room and I was like, how are we sitting here in 2017 at the time with no tools to address when someone is too drunk to give consent to sex? So that began the whole process of imagining what those tools might look like and um, and creating and developing um, a wearable device, essentially, that is going to be just a tool. I'm not saying that this is going to sure. protect you from rape, but right. this is going to significantly reduce the number of uh, people that experience incapacitation assault. Is the device live on campuses right now? I wish. Okay. No. <laughs> I then started my journey as an entrepreneur in the hardware world, trying to sure. fundraise and all of those obstacles. And yeah. that's my, you know, my current ongoing challenge. But it is something I believe in so passionately. And um, I know that this product has to exist. Yeah. As he said, I do have three kids. They're right. young right now. Yeah, They're of course. eight, 10, and 11. And my my goal, I'm, I'm motivated. Like, I need to get this to By market the they're in- <laughs> before they're in high school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because this starts in high school. Early. So the, the highest um, risk demographic for sexual assault are actually girls ages 16 to 19. Wow. And we know from a recent study it published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that one in 16 American women will have what's called forced sexual initiation. So their first sexual experience is against their will. And this wow. is absolutely unacceptable and something that we need to change absolutely Mm -hmm. um i want i'll get let's get back to the bracelet but on on that uh and talking about consent and changing this conversation then um i i don't even necessarily know where to begin Uh, and i think it's funny because when I was thinking about your book and dealing with kids and their sex education and incorporating consent in a really big way this idea that both 
whoever, whatever the gender expression is when you're having sexual activity, that the burden lies on both people to communicate effectively. And this idea that I think this is like the big idea that at least I feel like is the most important to get people on board is like, how much better is sexual activity when the other person is enthusiastically saying yes Mm -hmm. and to like emphasize that aspect of it because I feel like the narrative we've been telling especially in the media and what I grew up with with like the Disney fantasy and the rom-coms was if the person doesn't read your mind and know exactly what you want immediately and you don't have this like mental connection then it's you know, it's wrong and that's not even supposed to be the person, but like that's how you're supposed to engage. Right, which is ridiculous. It's crazy. And is leading to <laughs> bad sex. Yes. You know, uh, let alone horrible cases right. where like body autonomy is being violated on all sides of the right. gender spectrum. Yes. Um, but I mean, it's also, it can be so much better if we just, slow things down and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Everyone's having fun. Everyone is getting as much pleasure out of the experience. And that's where I think we are really challenged as a society, especially when we're thinking about teens and healthy sexual expression. The idea of like your teenage daughter feeling pleasure is extremely threatening to a lot of people. 100%. You know? Yeah. And and therefore we have, you know, people who are going into encounters with no education, no preparedness, um, without... Uh, the ability to articulate firm boundaries. Right. Or even know what they want or what feels good. Right. And then that just spirals through life, right? So, well, and I think it's interesting because male bodied people. Mm-hmm. I think they have their own challenges and masculinity is a part actually I think of the Me Too movement that is in about to crack and needs to yes. change as well to give more permission for them to experience the full onslaught of emotion and yes. vulnerability, right? But that their pleasure in a particular way is encouraged um, while we, are, like women are supposed to be the gatekeepers that do stay closed, that do stay preserved and clean. Um, and these words that really oh, just make so you want to... So offensive. <laughs> so cringeworthy. Like, die. Clean. Yeah. Give me a... <laughs> I'm vomiting in my mouth right now. Right. But these like narratives, you know, especially within, I think, like religious scripture and that sort of um, Mm -hmm. environment that are pervasive that make the other dirty. Yep. I agree. And even if you just think about the the ease and the number of jokes that we hear all the time yeah. about like teenage boys masturbating, like right. we have a hundred different terms for it. Yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs> littered throughout just normal conversation. This is right. an expected thing. But teenage girls, not so much. Right. And that's a real shame because you have girls and I hate to do this by sure, you know, sure, so sure. Let's, yeah. however, you know, we do live in a culture that is still so, yeah. you know, influenced by gender binaries, but, but also like whatever, I mean, I feel like vagina owning people yes. in general, like are discouraged to investigate their parts and what feels good and what doesn't. Yes. And yeah. part of that is just like geography, right? <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> you know? And 
and like access to light, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and mirrors. <laughs> sure. um, but but some of it is, you know, that we don't we don't give the proper language to describe. You know, people right. don't know what a vulva is. Right. They don't know the parts of the clitoris. They don't know how to find you know all the different parts of the clitoris. Right. Um, let alone you know girls understanding their uh, their personal orgasmic response right. or their pleasure templates. You know, so, I mean, to me, the real inequality here is the the orgasm gap, yeah. right? And so, I believe that, you know, consent is like the, the baseline beginning point for all healthy sexuality. But if we're making sure that everybody's on the same page, everyone's having fun, everyone's feeling good, yeah. the chance that everybody's going to, you know, get off and feel great after and want to have more sex for the sure. rest of their lives, like it just goes up. Right. You know, so how, how can this not be fabulous right. for how everyone? How can not everybody benefit from this idea? Exactly. So what are the concrete sort of... Uh, things that you're talking about when even talking to teens and I think all adults need to hear at this point too of like integrating this into the conversation and what does it applicably look like when we're in situations with a partner that we want to get intimate with how do you begin those conversations or what does that even look like so I think that I think that um, looking at consent as a conversation is the first most important thing. Yeah. So to me, consent is not a contract. And I get very concerned when it starts being phrased as this legal agreement right. that can be turn you know uh, yes no on off right go stop right. like that's not how a conversation works totally that's how you <laughs> sign a document at your you know accountant's office right or that is not um what is going to lead to a fluid enthusiastic moment to moment agreement right which is i kind of wish we would change the word consent to agreement mm. because i feel like you know sexual agreement is what we're really looking towards sure um and consent just has all of these legal kind of yeah, uh, ramifications yeah. of course i named my book consent <laughs> but only because, because my, it resonates with people it resonates people kind of know what to expect sure. also you know i wanted to name it yes please oh. because that was getting to the heart of what i believe is enthusiasm enthusiastic consent, which is what you were talking yeah. about. It's like the big yes yeah. that we really want to hear. <laughs> right. Not just like a half-hearted yes, not just, you know, but but an enthusiastic yes. Um, so, so that's the first part is understanding it's a conversation and it needs to continue throughout every sexual, par partnered sexual interaction right. from the very beginning, from the very first touches, through every movement, morphing and manifestation of that sexual expression. Right. So I say, you know, consent is not a free pass, you know, so I'm giving you consent right. to kiss me does not mean you have consent to touch my breast, right. does not mean you have consent to finger me right. or, you know, um, does not mean that you can expect a blow job. Like this is not what, so consent is. Right. It's not like a gatekeeper that just like opens open. the door. And she then we said just, yes. <laughs> yes. So, you know, yeah. I mean. Well, which yeah. is an interesting, which has been brought up with Harvey Weinstein's lawyer. Yes, it has. As an idea of like 
can this contract hold up in court? Which I think brought up a really interesting conversation of exactly this. That yeah. like, sure, you want to start there to start a conversation? Mm-hmm. Cool. I love that that's opening the door to it. But it doesn't give you permission then to do whatever afterwards. Or for somebody to take it back and say no yeah. at any point. And I think, you know, the, the laws... Um, outlawing marital rape make that pretty clear, right? Like you can be married to somebody. You do not have a right to access their body whenever you want to. Yeah. And that that became legally the standard in not that long ago, but, yeah. um, but it is legally the standard. So that's why I get particularly upset when I hear people saying, but she dated him for five years. Totally. But, you know, th- you know, they were boyfriend. They dated for, you know, two weeks. What did she think was going to happen when she went to his apartment you right. know and all of these myths that we have right that is not how consent works and we need to really shift our understanding as a culture right um that makes consent specific to each act in each moment right mm-hmm. and how do you incorporate then the idea of you know socioeconomic differences um like physical differences mm-hmm. in weight and height um and even you know, power dynamics and stuff like that that comes into it where, you know, emphasizing body language and also reading the other person to actually get an authentic answer from them and creating and cultivating a space where that's even an opportunity. Right. Well, I think what you're getting at, we get into a lot of trouble when we talk about reading body language. Right. And especially Especially we get into trouble when we're drunk and we talk about reading. Because we know that one of the first things that goes is your ability to recognize cues on the part of your partner and what they're telling you. So, you know, uh, studies have been done looking at, you know, volunteers in laboratories as they get increasingly intoxicated, they perceive scenarios to be more sexualized than they in fact are. And so all of these things. So... I really encourage people to use verbal consent yeah. always with new partners, always with first time. And and even with partners that you've had for years, it's never wrong to check in with a easy, fluid, verbal, just like, hey, how are you feeling? Do you like right. this? Do you want me to go down on you? Is this feeling good? Right. Does, are you okay? Like, does that hurt? You know, it's all of these things that, by the way, especially when we're talking about young people, anything we can do to slow this whole thing down is going to mean that like everybody is taking a breath, taking their time, allowing arousal and full perfusion of all that erectile tissue to get like really (laughs) maximized and everyone's going to feel better about it. Um, And it doesn't have to be this mad frenetic rush to the finish line. Right. Um, And that's Which I think is something we talk about, like Mm -hmm. uh, this idea of linear, a linear linear trajectory that ends with an orgasm. A male orgasm. A male orgasm. Yeah. Yeah, Like a penile orgasm is Mm -hmm. that, you know, that I would love to be incorporated, especially with young people. Like it doesn't have to be, that's not what it is. Like that's it's right. not, we're not running a race, a sprint to get to the end. That's like right. it is an exploratory event where other things will come up. I think this is kind of an interesting point of it too, that I hadn't been exposed to of like, it's really intimate yeah. and things might surface that 
can be dealt with in that moment in a safe shared space and that there there needs to be conversations I think around that of like you don't have to keep everything in it doesn't all have to be this like blissful crazy ecstatic thing it can be mm-hmm. something that ebbs and flows and is emotional and scary and weird and yeah you know. I think unfortunately in the vacuum of sex education yeah you know kids have learned from porn totally and porn is a hundred percent follow this script first right. you do this then that then that then that yeah. then this position that position totally. boom end yeah you know right. and you're right. It's such an unrealistic portrayal of yeah. human sexuality. And it's so sad because it's robbing all people, all genders of this really amazing experience yeah. that comes from being tuned into your body and your partner's body. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm all for beginning sex ed at the, you know, earliest stages, familiarizing kids with, you know, their bodies, but properly identifying parts of their bodies, which right. we know is also important for yes. boundary setting and prevents them from being taken advantage of. If they can, you know, clearly name this part of their body, they're much less likely to have some adult, oh, you know, yeah. touch them inappropriately because they'll be like, don't touch my penis. Right. I, my doctor says no one should touch my penis without my you know yeah my body is my own has that been an interesting conversation with your kids too about like body autonomy and I, I like even figuring out their own sexuality as I mean they're all sort of about to embark on puberty, which is yeah. exciting. Yeah. No, my 11-year-old could basically teach her class, her health class. Amazing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she comes back, you know, after a health class with like really detailed critiques of the educational material sure. that she's in. She's like... I love that. Basically, she's identified that it's way too heteronormative and, you know... Awesome. No, they're... they're ahead of their time. I, yeah. Can I tell a funny story? Absolutely. I'm so <laughs> proud of this moment, but I was rock climbing at a climbing gym cool. with my, uh, he was nine at the time son and she was seven at the time daughter. And, uh, my, my seven-year-old said, mommy, this harness is pinching my vagina. And my son goes, Fia, it's your vulva. <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. I was so proud. Oh my God, I you're grooming like, such a wonderful gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. I yeah. hope so. And yet, and yet, this is what kills me, okay? Mm-hmm. I can raise him to be this like empathetic, knowledgeable, feminist guy. Yeah. And he might one day truly believe that he had the consent of a girl. Sure. If he chooses to have girls as his partner. The consent of a partner who is too drunk to give that consent right. and he doesn't know. And right now we have no way of telling when somebody's in that state. And thus my product. But. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about um, buzz. So what what does it actually do? What does it look like if it was in practice? Yeah, so it it I have designed. I've worked with a design firm, and we've come up with an appearance model, but. I'll leave that to the side because it really could look like anything. And I want investors to know that. (laughs) (laughs) If you're Uh, listening. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. But essentially the the key components of it are a sensor, Mm -hmm. which is uh, without in a non-harmful real-time manner, 
uh, detecting the percentage in the blood of circulating alcohol. So a blood alcohol concentration, just like when you blow into a a breathalyzer, but this doesn't require you to do anything. Right. Just having it on your body, it is all the time passively measuring that BAC, blood alcohol concentration. And when you enter a zone where your capacity to consent could be diminished. What is that? So it's about 0.15 is where across the board we see diminished level of consciousness or inability to form new memories in most people. Now, we will have the ability to dial this down a little bit, not dial it up, but dial it down for people who are particularly sensitive and know that and want their red zone to be lower. Got it. So when you enter that red zone, it sends, again, passively, you have to do nothing, an alert to a circle of your friends that you've pre-inputted before you go out, letting them know Jen is in the red zone. Got it. Keep your eyes on Jen. Make sure she gets home safely tonight. Make sure she doesn't, you know, go upstairs with someone. Got it. And so they become those active bystanders who can, you know, get in there and help in a situation. It could also potentially help a partner who's, right. who's interested in knowing whether you have consent. Right. Um, if they, you know, they can see. Uh, if they, and do they communicate, like if you're on a date or something? They like can. Okay. If Yeah. So only one person, you know, the wearer right. needs to have it for it to function. But the more people that are wearing it, the more kind of fun, interactive things you can do and, and use it for. Like, yeah. like flirting. Okay. Uh, we have this the motion where you can bump the the two bracelets together. We call it bump and buzz, and and just a quick exchange of you know some key information. Oh, okay. Like, you know, hometown, major, first name. You know, just fun. Is it connected? Like, does it have dialogue to that an app? Pops up? No, okay, so it's an app. yeah, oh, so it's an app based uh, product. So. Yeah. Uh, just a couple questions on the legality of, especially if you're talking about minors who are consuming under 21 in on campus, in high schools, et cetera, yeah. where this information is then being stored. Yeah. So these are things that are, you know, really sensitive. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm a realist, right? So as a gynecologist, like I know everybody's dirty business. I know that like <laughs> what we, what we aspire to <laughs> is not always what we practice. Of course. And what has been so frustrating to me looking at some of the um, attempts at uh, diminishing or reducing sexual assault on campus is it's, you know, banning alcohol from parties, banning, uh, you know, alcohol from uh, hard alcohol, only beer. These kinds of things don't work. Yeah. Um, Essentially what they do, just like any bans from behavior that people are going to do anyway, is they push it into the shadows and they make it even less safe. Right. So when you have zero tolerance policies, um, what happens is when, when bad things occur and somebody knows that they have crossed the line from what they were supposed to be doing, they just don't report it. Of so course, there's because more, there are consequences. That's right. Yeah. There's more secrecy, more shame, mm-hmm. more hiding, faster consumption of hard alcohol right. off campus binging. so that they can, yeah, binging, mm-hmm. um, pre, what they call it, what is it? Pre-game, pre-gaming. Pre-gaming. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what what the kids call it these what days. The yeah. It these days. They called it that in my day, too. Thank gosh. I'm like, that's um, much removed. So all of these things are really 
much less safe than just admitting that like right. kids are going to get drunk and they're going to have sex. Right. So let's just give them tools to make those things happen a little bit in a more safe way. Yeah. Um, so I do plan to be extremely careful about where this data lives, okay. how long it exists for before it, yeah. you know, turns to cyber dust and <laughs> right, disintegrates. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm not interested in this being a gotcha product, like police in the bedroom, you know, being used later in court. Right. That's I mean, that not would be like a concern that I would have yep. too, right? Not um, especially with like uh like the rise of social media and Facebook and like Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. and stuff like that, making sure that the data is safe. De-identified, completely Got anonymous. It. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want I want developmentally what's happening at this age is a separation from the parents, right? And an exploration of personal freedoms. Right. I in no way want to inhibit that. That is important, I yeah. think. I just don't want 6.9% of girls in their freshman year on campus in the fall semester of their freshman year to experience assault. Right. So what can we do about that? We can really look at the role of alcohol. Right. And again, this is not blaming anyone. You know, you can sit in a room and get drunk until you go unconscious. You will not be raped unless there is a rapist there. Right. Right. So I, I'm not saying that this is a responsibility of girls to drink less. No. And we course. need to change the culture. And as that is in process, let's look at the way alcohol really does impact these events. Yeah, I love that. There was a quote that I saw that how do, how is it possible that every woman knows somebody who's been raped, but no man knows a rapist? That's right. Uh, and that idea of really examining all of our own behavior. On that, I am curious because I've had a, a relatively recent issue with consent mm-hmm. that um, got much deeper than I think I realized. And I... I a bunch of my friends who we've all been dealing with a little bit of trauma. We've been talking about the show sex education yeah. because they do this wonderful job of a man in a public bus um, ejaculates on one of the characters on the, one of the female characters jeans and she wants to brush it off and pretend like it's nothing. And her other friend makes her go to the police. Mm-hmm. They get to the police station and the police officer uh, is like, no, you're supposed to be here. This is assault. Mm-hmm. This is a big deal. And then you see the after effects of how she's dealing with it and how it actually affects her body and her psyche. Um, and so I'm wondering how we can also impact the conversation of like creating a safe space for ourselves, like as as women, because I know my programming and a lot of how I grew up in the media I consumed I get silent and my trauma response is to get scared and quiet and sort of submissive and how we can actively know those things and begin to create our own safe space so that we're, we can help ourselves not yeah. be in these situations. I so agree with you. And what you just said about the getting quiet and the, and the um, losing one's voice is so important. And this is what I think has not been discussed mm-hmm. to the extent that we really need to talk about is, you know, we, ha- we all have heard about the fight or flight mechanism, right. but so few people also understand that there is fight, flight, or freeze. Right. And 
for many of us, it is a freeze and um, understanding that if you did not give explicit verbal consent and somebody violates you, even if you didn't fight, even if you didn't scream, if your trauma response, as you just said, Mm -hmm. is to lock up and freeze, um, that is still assault. And the long-term psychological and physical consequences are the same. Um, So... But how we get there, I think it's it's conversations like this. Yeah. It's the Me Too movement. It's women sharing their stories. I didn't know pre-Me Too that every woman I knew had had some, you know, incident of ex- assault in her life. Yeah. I mean, I really didn't know that. Um, I distinctly remember sitting in a room with a group of women at a conference I was at where we were talking about the Me Too movement and all of us telling our stories and just absolutely sobbing because I knew these women and they're women that I respected. I mean, intellectually, professionally, personally on every level. I saw them as kind of like the epitome of like power, badass, like self-actualized role models. And we'd all experienced this. And I just had this breaking open of my pain and for the first time, and this is me, like a sex educator, yeah. women's health expert. <laughs> right. For the first time, I really understood that it wasn't my fault. Oh. And that came yeah. from women sharing their <laughs> stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think that shame aspect is so interesting. Like, why do you think that we do put it on ourselves? Because it's counterintuitive when you think about it on the outset. Mm-hmm. But it is... I mean, every time I've experienced something like this, and even in this most recent one, you know, I was under the influence in to a level that was, I couldn't actually like perceive what was happening. <sighs> but also, um, I got confused in mm-hmm. the middle of it. I was like, oh, did I, did I give consent? I gave partial consent in this way, but not to this other thing. And I got, my brain was confused in the mm-hmm. moment of like, oh, I already did something wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's so hard, again, back to this kind of binary culture we right. live in that wants to have like perpetrator, victim. Of course. You know, like good, evil. Yeah. And it's so much more complex and nuanced than that. And, you know, knowing nothing really about the specifics of yeah. what you went through, like, can we really say that it was the intention of no. the partner to harm you in any way? No. It was really their, either their intoxication, right. their lack of understanding that they needed, ongoing enthusiastic verbal right. consent for everything, their discomfort in their own bodies or totally. in their own moment, their fear of uh, being vulnerable and asking for something totally. like all of this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan in general of, punishment. I I don't like the prison system. I don't think that, you know, uh, this traditional model of like, you know, uh, perpetrator, crime, prison, you know, that that's not a model that really works for me. Um, I'm much more creates a cyclical. Absolutely. Event anyways that. Yeah. Yeah. And also where we, you know, if people are acting out of ignorance or their own pain or their own trauma, we're just traumatizing them further. I mean, look at the rate of sexual assault that happens in prisons across this country. It's horrifying. Right. So I'm much more 
a fan of conversations, therapy, (laughs) restorative justice, really doing that deep exploration of like, have we hurt somebody? Like admitting that. Totally. You know, when you do this, you know, innocent, guilty thing, it doesn't even leave the space to, for an admission or a true apology um, or what could really lead to healing. So in that actually is an interesting point about sort of uh, retribution then in society today with all of these um, heads of, you know, different movie studios and, oh, and organization, yes. right? Like today's what does retribution <laughs> does retribution exist? Is that something that we can start to incorporate? Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's a big conversation that's been coming up for me. And I was actually talking to someone really close to me. And her question was, what if people who rape people just can't reintegrate? Like, what does that mean? And how how do people then gracefully or can they gracefully reintegrate? Yeah. I mean, again, it's so complex sure. and nuanced. And I think that you, you know, d- today's uh, decision in the Weinstein yeah. trial was really, um, you know, a victory on some levels because you have somebody who over decades of his career very it seems overtly abused his power in ways that were just atrocious and um you know however if you just look at the statistics like I don't think we're in any peril of over penalizing you know rapists like it's something like six out of every thousand uh, cases that get reported actually end up going to prison. So it's, well, it's extremely low. Yeah. And the burden of proof to show that, you know, a rape occurred right. is so high. So high. And um, and you have to take all the steps like immediately in order to yeah, have. Yeah. And I, I think that there are individuals that are true sociopaths right. um, and may never be able to reintegrate. And, you know, those are the exceptions. I think that if we're looking at, you know, back to like your mainstream campus, you know, yeah like horrible event that's not the case you know we have people who are just trying to figure things out they're trying to figure out how to drink alcohol and they're trying to figure out how to have sex and unfortunately both of those things are happening simultaneously (laughs) in an unsupervised environment that is sexually charged that is layered on top of that all of these rules that they're breaking so they can't be overt about what's happening and it just leads to a really bad situation well and particularly with sex and alcohol, we really make those like these shameful sort of taboo things that mm-hmm. like alcohol isn't integrated early on as like in Europe, for example, mm-hmm. where it is just a part of the culture. So it's not this big exploratory thing that has to happen. And you don't have a fraction of the binge drinking right. and blackout drinking that you have in America. Right. Yeah. Of course. Um, and the same thing with sex. Mm-hmm. I feel like if we a part of this consent sex education conversation if we also taught, you know, vulnerability and showing our emotion and then body acceptance yep. as, op- as opposed to encouraging all this body dysmorphia and unrealistic expectations of what human bodies look like. Mm-hmm. There's this beautiful sex education program that I saw in England when I was there in college. Mm. And it was all of these women 
who were lined up and they were naked mm-hmm. and they all had very different bodies, very different boobs. And As we and do. And pubic hair, right? Yeah. And it was beautiful because it was just, they were just standing there and yep. it was just to showcase that like not everybody looks the same. Yeah. And then they did a whole tutorial on what period blood looks like and where it comes from and why it is what it is and it was like we have so much catching up to do in this (laughs) country i mean this is la and we haven't even gotten there exactly yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. um but yeah this idea that like if we're not running from something because i feel like that's a lot of how we cope too is like sex and alcohol if we put these things on top of the stuff that's going on underneath yeah that's where problems occur I so agree. And yeah, you have to look at like, why do people feel the need to get shit face right? drunk before <laughs> they get sexually active? Yeah, of course. It's because they're uncomfortable. Yeah, they're scared. They're scared and they don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. So take some liquid courage <laughs> and then you can fit into the role, the gender stereotype of what you're supposed to want right. as opposed to actually, what do I want? Right. You know? Right. And this idea too of, you know, I, I, I was, is this a part of your book of integrating gender expression and the idea that, you know, this heteronormative idea of sex mm-hmm. uh, doesn't apply, I would really say to anyone. Yep. Um, I, yes, I definitely <laughs> talk about the full range of gender expression, orientations, types of sex. You know, th- this is not just about, you know, P and V. Right, right, yeah, right. right. At well, all. and this idea of like the word virgin. Oh, I feel like it's I hate so that awesome. word. <laughs> It doesn't exist medically. Like it's really, there's no scientific basis at all to that term. I wonder what the origin of it is. I guess like the hymen breaking and being able to show blood on a sheet. Most most people have broken their hymen far in advance (laughs) of their first, you know, penetrative sex act. Right. Far. Yeah. Out of curiosity with your kids do have you had that conversation of like first that is it called like first sexual activity or how do you how do you even like address so I haven't had that specific conversation they yeah they are pretty young um I try to answer all of their questions as they approach me um so I wrote the book for ages 13 to 25, okay. but my 11-year-old has read most of it or at least heard me on the phone with my publisher <laughs> discussing it. Yeah. Um, sometimes she'll turn to me and she'll, she'll say, Mom, you know I'm only 11, right? That's so funny. <laughs> I'm like, I know, but you you understand these things. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we haven't had that specific conversation, but when it comes, I want them to understand that really sex is this big, delightful umbrella term that just I I want them to know my definition of sex is some form of, you know, uh partnered interaction with another human being being that feels pleasurable that may or may not involve genital stimulation of some sort yeah you know so it doesn't have to be uh you know a traditional I don't think that if you've only done anal anal you're still a virgin sure I just don't no right me neither (laughs) because what is what even does that mean yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) right just because you can't make a baby from it I guess was the distinction oh yeah yes absolutely Um, we really hope teenagers are waiting to make babies anyway (laughs) right exactly please finish your education yeah totally um I am curious through this whole evolution that you've been doing and all of these amazing impactful programs that you've created in this new device um 
I'm just curious about your own journey throughout it and like where you are now, like how has your work impacted in your own life thinking about how you are like a sexual being and as a mom, wow. you know, and as like a doctor. Big questions, big Jerry. Question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, I think I actually really appreciate the question because I think sometimes we try to imagine that doctors aren't people totally. too yeah <laughs> or like experts don't have sex lives right. um, or they're not like the full expression of a human being right yeah. right so I've had quite the journey through this yeah. and I dedicate the book to my teenage self oh. because this is all stuff I wish that I had had access to as a teenager I feel like it could have saved me years of pain totally. and possibly some trauma yeah. um, so you know I have my assault story at age 17, a, another one um, at age 21 with a professor, which I, oh, wow. um, through, through the uh, process of actually writing this book and starting Buzz Labs, I came to realize that because of this really messed up power dynamic that actually my grade was being deliberately manipulated oh and gosh. messed with, it was that bad. Yeah. I reported this 20 years after hey, the fact. <laughs> so, and what was incredible is I didn't even really understand how much that assault had impacted me. Totally. I kind of like pushed it to this corner of my brain. I was, you know, off campus and on my way to medical school and I just didn't think about it, didn't deal with it, but it lived there. And as I came through this journey of doing my own healing, you know, reporting it, hearing the feedback from the college where he was actually, he'd been an emeritus professor and they took away his emeritus status after a full investigation. I, when I got that message that the outcome of my reporting had actually influenced, I mean, I, I sobbed. I felt like this massive weight just lifted off me. I felt this freedom and this joy But it was so tied up with, I mean, talking about like the freeze response, getting quiet, you know, the guilt that I carried over not having reported him and, you know, the potential harm for other young women. I mean, I can't even tell you how much this did impact me and very much like what you just said about your experience. Sometimes we tell ourselves like, oh, it's not such a big deal. I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. I'm stronger than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was not the case. And I really have come to see how much those experiences really did shape and impact my relationships, my voice, my ability to um, advocate on my own behalf. When you have said no and that has not been heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, you kind of question whether your no is ever meaningful. Sure. You know, or whether you have the right to a no. Totally. And uh, it is deeply impactful. I mean, back to what brought me to this whole thing. Like yeah. I saw so many women in my gynecologic practice with these histories of trauma, childhood abuse, you know, presenting with cancers that were way further progressed than they ever needed to be because sure. they were so terrified to go to a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just seeing the long-term lifelong impact and fallout from this kind of trauma, I feel like 
probably the most important thing I can do as a women's health specialist is prevent this. Yeah. And, and or as a feminist. I mean, I believe that this impacts our ability to like ask for a raise. 100%. You know, <laughs> or yeah. like, or like keep our seat at the boardroom table after our first child when we start doubting whether we really deserve to be there since our energies are being split. Like totally. everything in our life yes. has to do with this sense of like, my body is sacred. I am, I have control over it. Right. I have the right to say yes when I want to say yes and no when I want to say no. Yeah. Like it's everything. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is why also this consent conversation is so much larger mm -hmm. and impactful. And not only for female-bodied people, for male-bodied people Absolutely. too. To feel empowered that they also have these rights and that, you know, yeah, I think that idea of, of being comfortable in our own skin mm -hmm. and when things happen that cross a boundary, that feeling of comfort is almost taken away. Like it is just a vibrational discomfort that exists yep. that I've experienced personally. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted to ask one more question about Buzz because uh, this has been coming up quite a bit, but would there be STI testing that could be communicated through the bracelet as well? Ooh, interesting <laughs> opt-in. Again, <laughs> with very complex legal implications. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Since that's like HIPAA-protected information. Uh, sure. So I don't know. But okay. I mean, the point is like, let's have the conversation. Right. Let's let's get some feedback. Sure. Let's get this, you know, functional prototype into sure. beta testing. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and see what people want yes. and how they use it and what features are helpful what are less helpful what do they want more of less of but the point is like it at least gives us a starting point right. um, what I find very exciting is that the sensor can not only look at alcohol but actually any circulating intoxicant in the blood oh, because cool. you know when we're thinking about you know date rape drugs being slipped into drinks you know right. which is by the way a tiny minority there's a lot of you know talk about you know make sure you have a lid on your container sure. or don't, right, right, don't right. let anyone buy you a drink or never leave your drink unattended. That's not right. by far what is leading to the greatest rate of assault. Right. It's, it's alcohol. It's kegs. It's, you yeah. know, it's just simple, plain and simple alcohol, which is freely available everywhere. Right. Um, but we could in the future look at opiates, benzos, cannabinoids yeah, you know because totally. now we're seeing and we know that like cannabinoids also influence our behavior in mm -hmm. terms of condom use and sti sure. prevention and yeah. so really this idea that like when we're making these decisions about our body you know hopefully we can get, come from a place where we're comfortable in our bodies right. so we don't need that liquid courage in the first place right. exactly you know We've had that foundation yeah yes, yeah and I, I feel like we'll get there yeah. like i feel like we're on a path at least we're talking about it yes you know these conversations never used to happen no um, i never heard any i don't even think i was aware of the word consent or anything around that until I don't know, a year ago? It's, it's come <laughs> up very... movement. Yeah, yeah. Know? And so the book, actually, funny enough, was born out of focus group conversations with graduating high school seniors for Buzz. When I got realized... It. Oh, cool. I realized how little consent education they'd gotten. Yeah. And how little was out there for them to reference. Um, and since then, you know, that was 
whatever, winter 2018. Mm -hmm. So since then, there has been more information coming available, more websites, more resources, my book, um, you know, additional, you know, it's being discussed, I I feel like on TV shows and movies and it's exactly, so it's coming into our awareness more. Bombshell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I'm just like thrilled to be part of this conversation and yeah. thrilled that you asked me to oh, talk about it today. Yeah, and I'm happy too. to talk to you anytime oh, because I think so you're doing, sweet. you're providing such a service by really addressing these hard topics and sharing your personal experience, which I really believe is so crucial to yeah. letting other people know, like, look, this happened to, to me. me. Um, you're not alone. Right. It wasn't your fault. Yeah. We can talk about it. We can shine a light and we can support each other and yeah. we can heal. Amazing. Where can people find you if they want to find your book? Um, we'll put a link to like the Amazon, um, but also like where, like are you, you're online, you have a website. Um, it's in development. Okay, cool. I'm a little bit protective of my oh, time okay. right now because I'm trying to no focus worries. on the company. Um, yeah. But uh, where the, can people look up Buzz if they want to invest? Because all of our listeners <laughs> have lots of capital. I, yes, of course. <laughs> if rolling in cash. Rolling in <laughs> I would say, um, you know, if you're interested in learning more about Buzz, just reach out to me directly. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Lang 665 at gmail.com. Amazing. I'd love to, you know, have a conversation. And I am looking for people who really understand the mission and vision of this company um, who want to partner Um, and then uh, getbuzz.co is where you can see a a little appearance model Um, my book is on Amazon so consent every teen's guide to healthy sexual relationships and then there's also if you go through the Amazon authors page there's ways of messaging with me oh cool so wonderful yeah awesome well thank you gosh thank you so much I'm so glad we got to find this time and I I am so overwhelmed and inspired by your work and your impact that you've had on the community and the world at large so thank you yeah thank you what a pleasure yay oh my god how much do you love her i love her so much oh oh, (laughs) she's so cool oh man i just feel so full and and happy with everything I learned from her and just being able to share space. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Um, as always, please subscribe to us, rate us five stars, share it with 17 people this week. You're really week. going down. That's like less ambitious. This well, is a great episode. They should share it with more oh than Oh yeah, 117. There Excuse we go. me. Thank you. 117 people, your closest friends. Um... <laughs> Follow us on social media. <laughs> you got it. Uh, you got it. You take it. Okay. Follow us on social media, Finding My Yum Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Woo-hoo. You can email us at findingmyyum at gmail.com. We've been loving your um, emails. They're great. They are great. Uh, if you have any ideas for guests, if you want to be a guest, yes. feel free to reach out. Slide into our DMs. Yeah. Tell us you want, what you want to hear about, what you are interested in, what mm-hmm. conversations you want to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Stay yummy. Stay yummy, babes.